This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station, XS Manchester. The XS Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. XS Manchester. Hey there, welcome to the XS Long Player. I'm Jim Salverson, and this is where I get to discuss classic Indian rock albums with the people that made them. Thank you for clicking play on this particular episode in which I'm going to discuss. Blossom's eponymous debut album. I love the word eponymous. I had no idea what it meant till about six months ago. If you're in that boat, it means album named after the band, essentially. For this podcast, I was expecting just to speak to Tom Ogden, frontman of Blossom's. But when I clicked the join Zoom meeting button, I was suddenly met with the entire band. So this is a brilliant chat with Tom and Charlie and Josh and Joe and Miles about the album that kicked it all off for Blossom's. Because the whole band are there, it does get a little bit excitable, a little bit messy at times, but you know what? It was brilliant to chat to a band that just seemed like a great bunch of mates, seemed to absolutely love what they do, and remember their time making and creating this debut album really fondly, it seems. Just to give you a bit of background on this album, in case you can't remember, it was released in 2016, produced by James Skelly from The Coral and Rich Turvey, boomed into the charts at number one, and was crowned Enemies Album of the Year in its year of release in 2016 as well. In other words, it's a good one. I hope you enjoy this chat with the boys. I did. I think they did too. And if you want to get more from this series, there are loads of albums already in the back catalogue of the XS Long Player. Brilliant albums discussed with the people that made them. Go and have a listen back. If you liked today's episode, do give it a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Let the world know what you think because it helps people discover this show. Enjoy the pod. Cheers to your ears. I'll see you at the other side of this conversation with Blossoms about Blossoms, their debut album. Oh yeah, and spot the bit at the beginning where I start the interview by getting the release date wrong. That's fun. Enjoy. How you doing, boys? All right, mate. Yeah, how are you? All good. Yeah, I'm really good, Tar. I want to start at the obvious place, I guess, because I think in terms of the albums we've done so far on The Long Player, this is probably one of the more recent ones, uh, seven years old now. For many of us, I think it feels like a pretty recent album. But for you guys, does it feel like an age ago? It's not seven yet, mate. Don't... Don't wish our lives away. <laughs> How old is it now? I've worked out at seven, but my maths is terrible. Five in August. Okay, five. All right. But still, I mean, five years, that must feel like... I mean, does it feel like a long time? Does it feel like yesterday? Yeah, it does feel like a long time ago, I think, now, because we've done, we've been quite prolific, haven't we? So we've had, like, two other albums out in the meet since then. We've released three albums, and then, obviously, we've started recording a fourth. So it's a bit... We don't tend to look back very often, I don't think. So, yeah, it does feel like a while ago. Some things feel... A long time ago, some of you don't like the recording of it. 
You don't be going past you. It doesn't feel like long since you were in there first time. But uh, to me, it feels a while ago. That does it? Mm. I mean, what? I love how there's four of you and I've got four completely different answers there in terms of how long ago it felt as an album. Take me back to the writing of this album then. Where were the first notes scribbled down? Where were those lyrics written? Where were the first riffs conceived? First song was written at home. It was written in my mum and dad's room, weirdly enough. Never ever isn't writing that, there. Isn't that the only time you've written? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember sat on the end of the bed on an acoustic. I was listening to a lot of The Doors on that song and I just tried to write a song that sounded like The Doors and kind of does a little bit when you strip it back. That was the first thing because we were like a four-piece, weren't we? When they had yeah, top. it's old, that. It was yeah. like, we jammed that before we were like even doing any gigs, really. Yeah, and we got Miles involved and that was the first like time where I was like, Miles really fits in this band. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because when you get someone down to play keys, we just thought it was going to be like... Padding out the sound. Yeah, we it? didn't really want it to mm. be like a lead instrument, obviously. Now, you know what I mean? Like, our, the keyboards are very like... At the forefront. Yeah. And then Miles like proper stepped up, didn't he? It was he? like his kind of audition and then what he brought to the, the table on that tune kind of sealed the deal for him being in the yeah. band, I suppose. But yeah, that was the earliest song written yeah. for the album, was Blow. He'd say Peter, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> when you were writing that album, when you were writing that song, I should say, what were you writing it for in your head? Were you already at the stages where you're thinking about an album? Was it EPs? Was oh. it just writing for the sake of writing? Was it writing for fun? How was it looking at that stage? Just writing for, for fun, really. And obviously, we'd started the band, so I knew it was going to be for Blossoms. So I kind of had, a, you know, we'd already kind of, we'd had a couple of jams and kind of figured out, you know, Josh had a cool pedal board. Charlie and Joe on, on the drums and bass were obviously sounding boss already, and then me and Charlie on the harmony. So you could kind of hear the, the workings of what it would sound like. But Fit Blow was the first, it's the oldest tune, it's still the longest standing but we still play it live all the time. So it was the first one where everyone kind of brought something to the table and I think we realised, oh, we could probably do something it was that song and, it, and that's why we ended up... It was our first single and then we kept it on the album still as well because we just felt like it summed us up in the early days. What were you listening to at that point? Because I think one of the things that stood out for me about this album when it was released and the EPs that came before as well to a certain extent was it sounded really different to a lot of the other music that was around at the time, particularly in the indie scene. So where were those influences being pulled from at that time? It was a lot of like just random songs by different people like along the way. Someone would send me a song and then that would inspire me to write another song and then some songs weren't even inspired by you know other artists. So it's like mm. Blown Rose, James Skelly gave me an acoustic guitar because we'd already started working with him. And then I went home and just wrote that song on that acoustic. So it was kind of like that song was hidden in the guitar, if, you, if you'd like. And then once we started working with James on Blow, obviously we were saying like my, the doors and stuff in, on the early versions of Blow was like the organ and stuff. Once we ended up working with James Skelly, he changed the organ for like synthesizers, which then just opened a whole new world for us as a band. So then when I was writing stuff on the keyboards at home still, just like piano sounds and just little twinkly sounds. We then put them on synths, like Charlemagne, for example. It's, it, isn't, it isn't as glamorous. It's like it's literally as boring as didn't have the money for box synths. No, we didn't even know really what synths were, did we? <laughs> no. And we, obviously we wanted to sound current as well. That was a big part. And I remember James being like, you know, you don't want to sound like you're from 1960, whatever. Mm. You want to still have your influences from there, wear them when you sleep, but don't literally be a carbon copy sound of it. Because it was a whole, like, heavenly scene, wasn't it, at the time, I remember? Like, we were big fans of Temples. Yeah. There was a lot of that. And we kind of, early days, were more in that vibe and the way we dressed what, and the way what, we sounded. What, 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 what did you call what us, what Jack? No one needs to know what we, uh, our original <laughs> genre was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what it, was, it wasn't specific albums as such. It was just, like, tracks off, you know... Tracks uh, 
And everything we grew growing up listening to was obviously filtered into that first release because you've kind of been soaking up all this stuff for years. You know, you we said it, Arts and Monkeys, Oasis, ABBA, mm. you know, the Beatles, all that, the Doors, that filters in just because you've listened to it so much. But I feel like we ended up creating our own sound by, mer- obviously it sounds obvious, but like merging everything, mm. merging all the influences and not really trying to sound just like anyone else. I remember actually the synths and some of the guitar parts and the later tunes recorded for that, like Honey Sweet, Getaway, James Kelly was always talking about 1989 by Taylor Swift, which was like, oh, was it Ryan Adams' version of 1989? I can't remember. But he was like talking about Taylor Swift and mm. you know, still sounding poppy. So, you know, we had all these band influences, but then he was also adamant on getting us on, on the radio and stuff, which worked. James yeah. probably the one that pushed us out of the comfort zone, really. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Into doing that, into finding our own sort of sound, which was good. Yeah, we just give you little nudges in little directions. Like, like for example, changing the organ on Glow to a synth then it opens a whole new thing. I'm like, oh, that make it sound like a synth. And then, then I'm listening to all the music. He'd send me songs. So it was a very, just a lot of fun. I wanted to ask you how heavy the hand was of James Skelly working on this album as the producer. I think you've kind of answered that already. It was gentle nudges in certain directions. Are there any tracks that you reflect on the album and you listen back to and go, oh yeah, I can really hear his influence in that because that's completely changed the way that track feels to maybe how you imagined it at the beginning? Rooms, like we we went a completely different way with it, and we had it more like charlatans and like it was like in Spiral Car, like, baggy at first, baggy yeah. and like all right. like that kind of stuff. And then James was like, "You just sound like a pub band doing it like that." He was like, <laughs> he was, I, I he was, he was like "But the song's good." He was like, "Just I I was playing it in their rehearsal in the yeah. was like so I always kind of used to play it at home, like imagining we were doing like a songwriter session or like you know." MTV Unplugged and I was always like oh this is how we play it if we did it like that you know in my own head mm. and I showed it James and he went just do it like that it's <laughs> <laughs> not like a massive staple piece in like the, the live set and stuff now like everyone's on the shoulders but literally he was just like do it like that it sounds good so Deep Grassy had a big influence on I think the last track on the album didn't it you know the way it was produced and the sounds yeah because we kind of built it's like in two halves that first album like the first half like Charlemagne Most of Kiss like blow, coming out bleeding, stuff like that, blown rolls. They were like rehearsed in a room with us a lot. And then we then took it on the road for a bit, then took it to James Skelly. And then we kind of, so they basically were already formed songs like rehearsed and they existed. Whereas because we were on tour all the time, I used to write in between gigs at home and we didn't have any time to go into the studio. So we used to go yeah. to the rehearsal room. So then we'd go into the studio and I just have the song. And then basically it was like a blank slate and we'd take it anyway. And that's when the, the whole Taylor Swift kept coming up and stuff. So he'd be like, you need a song which sounds like Taylor Swift. So I'd be like, well, I've got this one called Honey Sweet. And we'd, we'd, done like a, we'd done a, like a little bit of a demo, me and Miles. And then, so we had like bits and bobs knocking about, but and like Getaway we built completely from scratch. Just, I had the song and we just built it up from that. So I'd say they were the ones he had a big influence on because he kind of helped us piece it, piece was, it together. From, it was more of a time thing, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm so busy that first year. Getaway was the, the song that you became like more direct with your lyrics on, wasn't it? I remember you saying. Yeah, and Honey Sweet and Deep Grass, that was like the whole period, I think. Obviously a breakup as well. It's really interesting that you mentioned that the album was kind of in two parts because I was looking back at some of the reviews of the album at the time and the one that caught my eye was a review that said, I'll, I'll try and find it and I'll read it. It says, Blossom's self-titled first effort sounds less like a debut and more like a greatest hits album from a veteran group. I think what it's getting at with that review is A, how mature and accomplished you sounded as a band in terms of songwriting and production and 
the way the band kind of fitted together. But I think it's also hinting at these different vibes that you have on the album, these different sounds. And obviously you'd pulled a few songs from previous EPs, you'd written them in different places. So was that a challenge when you came to think of this as an album? Was it a challenge to make it hang together as one body of work, as kind of like an album that makes sense? Uh, a little. It did feel a bit like a singles collection. You know, looking back, I, like, I think as we've got older and done more albums, we've kind of pieced it together a bit better and we had more of an idea of what the album would be whereas this was like there's a few songs weren't they knocking about that didn't end up on it like you would have gone on me and mm. on the beach at night so we did have conversations across the, across the wall we had conversations i know we had all the ep tracks so mm. we had loads of conversations about track listing and stuff but again we're quite efficient as a band so once we had the main body recorded we kind of just pieced it together and then that's when james would take control as a producer and say because obviously he could probably see pieces together and be like you need another one that's like that and maybe you need one more single. And that was when he suggested like the Honey Sweet thing. You know, you need I a song mean, like I, you need I, a song that Taylor Swift could sing. I, 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 remember, I remember sitting in the kitchen. And like, well, I showed him. And me and I was like, Honey Sweet. Because you were like, you didn't think you thought I it was, thought too, it was far, too far. Didn't the demo. The demo is the demo. Like, the, the demo is but... pure miles. It was like it's, it's, it's a boss with the demo. I remember the demo, mate. He's more me. I wanted to sound like the XX that song. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so but at the time, you, you know, we had songs like Below. It was a million miles away. A few times where it felt like Jay asked for something, but you were you already had it. Yeah, because I'd be writing and all the time. Some sort of like, I ain't showing anyone get away, I don't no. think, because I not didn't rate it, but I, this will sound mad because obviously it's a big tune now, but I, I wrote it so fast and just thought, it's all right. Like, I just thought, I thought that, I genuinely thought that was too easy. Like, it can't, it can't be that good because it was that easy to write. Have you always have you always been like that, Tom? Because obviously in the last few years, as you mentioned earlier, you've been pretty prolific in terms of what you've produced as a band. But I think a lot of bands going into their first album have this body of work because they've spent their entire lives till that point leading up to that point. But did you have like hundreds of songs to pick from then in that case, if you could just pluck these tunes out of the air when you were asked for them? We did have a lot of songs, yeah. Tom's fucking strict on himself. What's mad, I think, is like, there's some songs where Tom's like, even what he said about Getaway then, like, I think he's got tunes that not never showed us that are like mint tunes, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he's, he's pretty strict on himself in terms of what I'm getting from it. Do you know what I mean? Like, Jay will say something and we're like, oh, I don't have anything. Tom's like, well, I've got this and just start doing something. It's like, where the fuck have you pulled that from? Like, why, why are you talking to us about this? So, like, why? Do you know what I mean? There's like loads of stuff where it's like, mm. so I think you're right all the time. You do, but I think you've got like a bit of, not quality control, because obviously sometimes no, it is that, like that. Yeah, but sometimes that goes wrong, so maybe not the most efficient quality control. I have to really like it to show someone. So I obviously I liked it enough to show it, but I weren't mm. like because we were busy. I kind of just obviously wrote it and just yeah. left it. I am touch wood quite prolific. Obviously, I think then I was writing a lot, a lot because I was coming out of relationships, so the songs were just kind of falling out left, right, and centre. So yeah, there was a there was a lot of songs knocking about. You've always liked to work fast as well, haven't you? Yeah. And that's why we ended up writing new ones for the album because because we could have just put loads of the tunes off the EPs on there like Across mm. the Moor and Polka Dot Bones and done a first album like that but because I was already writing these new songs and we thought they were better it was like these should just be the first album and they were fresher do you know what I mean? They'd been written. By the time the album came out there was already a real buzz around you guys as a band. You were on a load of ones to watch lists. I think you'd been heralded as the saviours of indie many times particularly in manchester i think were you feeling the pressure at that point when the album was about to hit the shelves was there a pressure for it to be successful for me no because we were so busy that year i genuinely don't feel like personally i didn't really have time to just sit back and overthink it and reflect i think it was we got successful that's when i felt it more once the, once we had the success of the first album because mm. in my head i was like we will need a second one comparative but the first one was just 
was so much fun. I, I didn't feel no pressure, really. Looking back, it was just like gigs all the time. And we obviously we knew we had good pre-orders, and it was like, well, you might get number one. Then the week of it, it was like, looks like you're going to be number one. It was like amazing. And we flew to like Romania the day after, so it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, there was literally no time, because then you're kind of tired and you've got to pack a bag, so you've got to get to the hotel. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like, we didn't really have like a big party, did we? It was just like a big year of a party, I suppose. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a massive year. It was so fun. No, like, yeah, it was it's amazing. Like, it's a perfect blend of pressure, but kind of we hadn't done anything yet, so it's so exciting. Like, it was like the first everything time was everything. new. It was like proper band stuff, like you said. You know, it was like flying out everywhere, going to this this country, or like coming back from like you know what I mean. You come back from Japan, and then the next week we go into like a Europe tour and stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, we flew in from Australia. We did Kendall Call, and then we had an enemy cover shoot. You know that kind of thing. It yeah, was just it was proper. One like, thing just led to another. It was yeah, so it was, exciting. But it felt like proper band stuff. Do you know what I mean? Which is weird because obviously it took that year for it to be like oh, fucking hell. This is like our jobs now. Like Charlie said, like the mad things you got flying in from Australia doing three gigs in one day and then an enemy shoot. You know what I mean? Things like that where you just like... Because you can't, like, we always gauged it, the success of how big the gigs were. So we didn't really like, we weren't that bothered about getting a number one or that bothered mm. about commercial success. Obviously the labels and stuff want that because, you know, they're putting money into you. Obviously you'd, you'd like it, but it's not the be all and end all. Mm. So I think once we saw our gigs, oh, we're already selling out that year. Playing the album, or we played the Ritz. We'd already got this confidence of like, well, we believed in the song, so not not arrogant, but we were like, this can't fail. So the fact we got a number one was just like the cherry on the top. If it had got to number three, I wouldn't have cared any no. less. I wouldn't have made any difference to me mm. for that year. We still don't care now. Do you know what I mean? It's one of them like it is. I think when you're a band, all you do care about is live. The whole reason you make money, it's amazing to do, and it's like where you get your best reaction. Do you know what I mean? It's where you yeah. feel the most. That's where a lot of our integrity comes from. It's it's knowing that we can perform live and oh, we can do it well yeah. live. That's where it's always come from. And that's so important for a band like us. Even when we're doing everything, obviously, when we're doing albums and stuff, that is like, obviously, fundamentally, a lot of things we talk about is all to do with live. Mm-hmm. Even when you're doing an album, if you're doing it for live, you know what I mean? It's yeah, weird. Like, boss live, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, but open and stuff like 100%. That. I think if you're a band, you know what I mean? That is the one thing you do have to concentrate on and do have to put the light at the forefront of everything. Like Tom mentioned, you know what I mean? All the other stuff's mint and great, but Inevitably, we were selling out gigs and the crowds were going mad, and that's that was why. And we that, James it. was key in that as well because he'd seen yeah. us play live from being really early on. And obviously, we maybe had a lot of songs which were a bit more mid-tempo, and he'd be like, "You need a rocker one." So then, when we did it most to kiss, I've been for a while. He'd been saying, "You need a song that's like doom, 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 that kind of thing." And I had the song, and Chaz was like, "Well, James kept saying," and then Chaz was like, "Why don't we do it on this tune?" So we then just married the two. We just married, yeah. You know, stuff like that where you've been kind of, again, just pushed in a little bit of a direction. And then obviously that became like the opener for a while and had a great live track. And, you know, we sped a couple of tunes up on the, on the third. You know, I mean, just little things like that that you think about from playing live, which now affect the record. This is probably a bit of a distraction from the focus of this conversation being on that album. But I guess if the live is that important to you, the last 12 months must have been really difficult as a band. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Just probably the most difficult we've had. So far, obviously, everyone's in the same boat and you kind of, there was a bigger thing at hand. And, do you know what I mean? We were fortunate enough to be able to, do you know what I mean? We've been sensible with the way we set the band up. So we weren't like living extravagant lifestyles and we had to like go, oh God, we've got no money and stuff like that. So, you know, if you were a band who just got signed, that would have been worse. But it's been tough to not play because it's what we've, you know, we've done it for so long now. Yeah, even without all the like, financial issues and stuff, it's like mentally, mentally, yeah, mentally it's been like, hard. I'm, I'm the sort of person, I can't just sit still, do you know what I mean? I can't just do mm-hmm. nothing. And obviously being in the band for as long as you have been like, and it being your job as well as like your hobby, that's all I added, mum. Do you know what I mean? So, for it to just go, 
yeah. and that lighting thing going, how much I loved it anyway, it was just proper difficult. I think you just sit at home and just be like, right. And it was the fear of when will it come back? And that's what I didn't like about it. But I mean, you realise other things are like you live like 100 percent live in a bubble on sort of because you every night's a Friday night. So I mean you come off stage, you're drinking, and you come home off that tour, and I just carried on like I was on tour and I was I was like <laughs> getting a where, you know what I mean, getting beer in on a Wednesday night. It's a bit like, well, not everyone's living like this, but it was a weird year, wasn't it? What really? <laughs> <laughs> it was like there was upsides and downsides because most would have like bought houses and stuff by that point. So even just to spend time at home, that was the longest time I've ever spent at home. Got a lot of shit done. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even just spending more than two months with my girlfriend, do you know what I mean? Sounds mm. obviously dead normal, but never done that before. Never had like a time where I'd, I'd sat down with my girlfriend every night for more than probably like eight weeks, do you know what I mean? Somewhere after that. I think for her, I think she was one that was like, get the fuck out and sit here. Turning attention back to the album slightly, one of the questions I ask people when they come on and do these shows is to pick a moment from the album, and it can be for whatever reason, it might be a highlight, it could be a low light, it could be something you love, something you hate, it could be something that sparks a memory from when you were recording. As I've got four of you, I guess it would be appropriate for you to kind of pick one each. So, do you want to pick who goes first, or do you want me to kind of pick pick someone at random like a teacher? Just any anything in the process. If I was at home listening to the album and you said this part of this song is relevant or significant for this reason, what what would that? Well, be? I can remember us rehearsing Charlemagne in the scaffolding yard in the room and buzzing off it and playing it over and over again. You know what I mean? Like playing it like eight times back to mm. back. We all knew, didn't we? As soon as we like got in that room, Blown Rose. Remember playing Blown Rose in the rehearsal room. Just little moments so like that. Mine, one of mine for me, links to the first album, is getting that phone call about getting signed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we was all, we was all in the car. car, and then I was driving and passed. I managed to try to bring you, but it didn't come through or something. He was bringing yeah. me. I remember I passed it on to you, and then you were like, "Fuck, really?" And we were like, "What the fuck are you saying?" We just sent over Charlemagne to the label, and we were just like, "Yeah, they want to sign you," and we were just like. Oh, do you know what I mean? Like, and just, mm. I know that we were doing the same drive to the rehearsal room. And I was going to say, do you remember what road you were on and what you could see at that point? Yeah. Was that ingrained? Right, yeah. Near the big Morrisons in Bradbury. Going up the hill. <laughs> the yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were coming up. We turned turn left then. We went past the Mackie. Exactly, yeah. And I just remember like, at the traffic lights, that's where you were on the phone to him, but at the traffic lights is where you said, we've been offered a record deal. And we were like, fuck. And I remember going back, getting at the yard, like all of us standing outside the yard, like our old rehearsal rooms, being like, Fuck, we've been signed. I was looking at cars I was going to buy. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? like, obviously, you don't get fucking any money. Do you know what I mean? But in my head, I thought I was going to be like a millionaire or something. But I just remember like the vibe and everyone, it, was just, it just felt mint. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, mm. it's been like a year of not, of getting almost. Setbacks. Yeah. Most like, people came to watch us. Yeah. And did sign us, basically. No one wanted to sign us. And but I think, in hindsight, we weren't ready. Like that no, thing I'm, about yeah, I'm glad nurturing, like we were more like that 60s thing and not really modern and no. kind of didn't really, we didn't have our own identity. Mm. Like so it, was, it worked out well, but at the time it didn't feel like that. It felt horrible. It felt like no one wanted Yeah, exactly. And, and it felt like, because it had been a year where I'd like left my job. I think all of us left our job. Like, and we were all like struggling that way. And we were just a bit like, oh God, like, do you know what I mean? And it was just, not relief because relief's not the word because we always thought we would do it's it. It's like justification. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like we're not oh, mental. Right. We're not mad. Like we're not the <laughs> yeah. only people who believe this is great. And everyone around us and all our families think it's great. <laughs> Surely someone in that position does. Another, I remember us when we shot the album cover and it was just meant to be pressed for the photos. We didn't, actually, we didn't know it was going to be the album cover. Mm. But I remember us because it was that cold. We had 
hot water bottles in our like down the backs of our jeans and actually on the front cover of the album we've got hot water bottles down the back of our jeans <laughs> so there's stuff like that and loads of moments in the studio I remember I was working out Honey Sweet and it taking a while but just buzzing off the vibe of it and being like this is what I want the band to sound like and then listening to the when we get the mixes back in from the on tour do you remember that yeah in like the, the van yeah. and just blast it in the van and be like this is mint Metal's in a pub in Stockport called the Puss in Boots, which is like a central location to everyone's mum and dad's house. Jules we all on it the first time. Yeah, Jules on, yeah, yeah. Right. Great, great escape, yeah, Jules on. Yeah. And then we, we sort of we got the bus, but all our mums and dads came. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, it was like I don't, it was like a school trip. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a dead nice moment. Do you know what I mean? Because it was, I don't know, it just. It felt again. You always like, said, "Oh, when are we going to be on the tour?" Yeah, bus? Imagine, imagine being on the tour, but it did, and now I hate the tour bus. And then, <laughs> you know, the the cherry on top was was getting the, the number one. I think mm. we were playing Blockbusters in Newquay, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. When we found out on stage, that found was, out on uh, stage, didn't we? Yeah, that was mad. Champagne, then flying flying to Romania, like you said. When you do stuff like this, you talk about it, you actually start remembering it. All. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hiya. You're right. Yeah, yeah I was doing this interview. I'll get the house to myself. Have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> we'll be gone. We'll be gone soon. Um, but, um, yeah, it was a mad year, that. Fuck them out. Talk about the final track on the album, because it's Deep Grass, and I'm always curious as to how a band approaches a final track on the album, because is it a case of it's your least favourite track and you just stick it at the end, or is it like it's like an encore, like a big curtain drop moment where you're finishing in a flourish? How do you approach that when you're putting the yeah. album together? We'd already pretty much boxed off all the singles on the album. So we kind of had a bit more free space to that. We can do something a bit more loose and just not really so overthink I, I it. I feel like we always do that with every album. The last yeah. track, we always did, we always like got the singles out of the way. We concentrate on that. And then it's like the last track, we're always like, oh, we can do that on this one. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we, we had do, a demo we of that. Like, we can do like a seven-minute tune. Do you know what, what I mean? One of ones me and Miles were a demo of Deep Grass again. It was like Portishead. Yeah. I remember it. So obviously we were like, oh, let's do that Portishead kind of tune. Yeah. And, we'll just, and then once we started doing it, it had like the big guitar solo at the end. And it went on and on. We were like, it's probably the last track now. They kind of lend themselves to the position on the album. Mm. Well, last track's always kind of just... We, know, we always know how like, themselves. Being Deep Grass was just the obvious one to do again. He went a bit mad and stuff, and it, I just remember Jay sitting down with all these like mad things, like twisting yeah. knobs, like a mad scientist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean to make all these crazy sounds and stuff? How do you feel about this album now? I've, I've got seven years on my notes written down, but obviously five years on from it being released. Now you've had a bit of time to live with it. Now you've sounds changed, I think, over the last five years quite significantly. When you take a step back, how do you look at the album? Would you tweak anything? Do you just love it how it is? I would have worn a better outfit on the cover. I thought that. Spray on skinnies, yeah. <laughs> I would have worn a better outfit. Of its, of its time, though, isn't it? We always said we probably would have put um, a custom uh, on. I wish it did go on. I proper wish that, that tune was on the album. But I wouldn't take any tunes off it. No. There's nothing that I regret no being on it, I don't think. And obviously, because it yeah. went to number one and stuff and did all them things, like, did as well, do you know what I mean? Mm. There was no negative at all, even from doing it, the whole process, everything about it. I said probably the only negative was that some we used to love playing across the mall that didn't make it onto it. And Alex, Alex Turner said he loved that song as well. Boys, pleasure to speak to you. I think one of the nice things about hearing from you guys is you just seem to absolutely love doing what you're doing. You're, you all seem like great mates. You seem to buzz off every single aspect of being in a band and making music. And it's really refreshing to hear that. And it's great to revisit what is a classic album. Love doing it on the long player. So thanks very much for joining us. Cheers, Cheers mate. Nice, Cheers. Thanks a lot. Nice one. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. That was fun. Enjoyed that. That was my conversation with Blossoms about their debut album from 2016. It's a brilliant album. If listening back to that has inspired you to go back and listen to the album from start to finish, because we don't do that enough, do we? We don't listen to classic albums all the way through. We might pick our favourite songs, but it's one of those albums that just is a joy to experience all the way through again. Go and listen to it. You can find the link in the description of this episode. If you enjoyed it, do rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts and give some of the other shows in this series a listen too. There'll be a new one every week-ish, give or take. So make sure you're following as well. Click subscribe and you'll get the next episode as soon as it's ready. Have a good one. Cheers for your ears. The Excess Manchester Long Player. An iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester.